everybody, and welcome back to the Harris County Precinct 1 podcast, One for All. I'm Leticia. I'm Garcia. And I'm Kate. And today, we're going to be talking about minority and women-owned business enterprises. Woo! That's a mouthful. And we will definitely be referring to it a lot as MWBE for short throughout the episode. So a little bit of background before we really dive in. Earlier this year, the results were released from a disparity study requested by Commissioner Ellis that looked into which companies the county was using for contracting. The study found that only 9% of all of the county's contracting dollars went to MWBEs. 9%. That's crazy. Yeah, especially when you think about how diverse Harris County is and just the fact that women make up half the population. Exactly. It's crazy. So we've been working on ways to remedy that, and on November 10th, Commissioner's Court passed the MWBE Policy Framework, which is designed to give these minority and women businesses a fair shot at the contracting dollars. And to dig a bit more into this, we sat down with Commissioner Ellis and Sasha Leggett of our policy team to talk about the importance of this issue, the program, and the new Office of Economic Equity and Opportunity, which were set up to break down historical barriers and create economic opportunities for historically marginalized populations. Without further ado, here's our interview with Commissioner Ellis. Hi, Commissioner Ellis. How are you doing today? Good. Good to be with you again. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, So today we're going to be discussing Harris County's MWBE program. And so I want to start at the very beginning because MWBE may not be a term people are very familiar with. So could you first tell people what MWBE stands for? MWBE stands for Minority and Women's business enterprise. Okay, and could you describe in very general terms what this program is for? MWBE programs are designed to give African-American-owned, Hispanic-owned, Native American-owned, women-owned firms that historically have been locked out of the opportunity to do business with public and private sector entities and opportunity to participate. You know, let's just be real. In the history of our country, It was not that long ago when if you were black, female, Hispanic, Native American, the cards were stacked against you. There were government policies, laws in place, where you wouldn't even raise your black, brown, Native American, a female head and have enough nerve to walk into a business, a governmental entity, and ask for a contract. So these programs are designed to level the playing field, to remove those vestiges of racism and sexism, homophobia, discrimination that have been so much a part of the DNA, part of the American psychic. Okay, and we know that in order to create this program, there first had to be a study that proved sort of this disparity, this need. Uh, Could you describe some of the findings of this study that stood out to you? So in the city of Richmond, Virginia, in about 19, uh, uh, sometime in the late 80s, they had a program to help minority women-owned businesses. And the contractors, the white contractors, wanted to challenge it. So they took it to court. It was over some toilet fixtures, of all things, in the city hall in Richmond, Virginia. I was on the city council in Houston. I remember calling a council member and said, well, you all settled that damn lawsuit? 
before you shut down these opportunities to level the playing field for minorities and women's all around, women-owned businesses all around the country. They didn't. The Supreme Court wrote a decision, which in my judgment was one of the uh, worst, most racist decisions in the history of the Supreme Court. Thurgood Marshall wrote a scathing dissent, essentially what the Supreme Court did in the Croson decision. Your listeners ought to Google Croson decision will say that before you can have a program to try to make up for past discrimination, you got to do this very expensive study to see what is the capacity of minority and women-owned businesses in a region and make the case that they have been discriminated against. But that is the law. That's what it requires. So you have to do this disparity study. Very expensive. First time I encountered one was as a state senator. It was a million dollars to do a disparity study for the state of Texas in order to do a program for minority women-owned businesses in 1991. It's a study that is akin to reconstructing your tax returns. So imagine you don't pay your your taxes. In this case, you discriminated against minorities and women for over a century or so. And then somebody says, well, go document it and go prove that it happened. But that's what you have to do. So the Harris County agreed to do a disparity study. We at Precinct 1 led the effort to get that done. We uh, piggybacked off the city study. They were doing one. They've done it many times before. It's about $650,000. The study showed, which is what your question was, that 91% of the business that Harris County does with private vendors goes to white male-owned businesses. And the study also shows that the capacity for minority women-owned businesses to do work in Harris County is somewhere in the neighborhood of about... uh, 28 or so percent, a little under 30 off the top of my head. Uh, the One of the most egregious numbers was the number for African-American-owned businesses. In the third largest county in the country, one of the most diverse counties in the country, I think the black number was 0.5 or 0.05, one of the two. Less than 1% of the county's business going to black-owned businesses. For Hispanic businesses, it may have been about 4%, 4.2%. The capacity, as an example, for Hispanic-owned businesses uh, was somewhere in the neighborhood of double or so that percentage. So it shows that about nine point, uh, uh, point, 9, 9% of the county's business was going to minority women-owned businesses. So 9% versus the 30% that's available. That if there was... That they're capable of doing. Exactly. So yes. that if there were... If there was no issue, if there were no barriers, you would expect there to be about 28%. Well, and I always try to make the point that I'm not advocating a quota program because even if the capacity for minority women-owned businesses is 38 28 30%, I'm not advocating. I'm about as progressive on these issues as you get. I'm not advocating that 28% of business has to go to minority women-owned businesses. It could be 50%. It could be 15%. But what we all know is that contracting in Harris County for a long time was a white man's game. Now, hey, those are harsh words and not mine. That was the headline in the Houston Chronicle. In this day and age, can you imagine to come to a county like this and 0.5% of business was going to African-American-owned businesses, 9% was going to minority women-owned businesses as diverse as this community is with the political clout by the way, because oftentimes those who get the contracts with governmental entities historically have been the ones 
who had the political access, the political clout. But I'm not saying somebody ought to get 30% of the business just because they happen to be a minority or woman. I want to make sure what we do, government's role, my role, is to level the playing field so there are no barriers are there. Get beyond the historic discrimination that we know has existed and still exists today. Of course. And because when we're talking about county contracting, these are hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. Um, now, we have some audio of you from Commissioner's Court discussing this program. And so I want to get it done. I want to get it done uh, quickly. We have waited too long. It's just time. It's past time. And I want us to catch up. And when I listen to that, I really hear the passion in your voice. So can you tell me a little bit why this program is important to you? And Look, why, why this is an important issue? You know, uh, hey, I come from a, a household in Sunnyside. My dad's still alive. 99 years old. Sixth grade education. Because growing up in Itasca, Texas, 99 years old, to go to the colored high school, he was going to have to walk 10 miles to Hillsboro, Texas, from, from Itasca, Texas. So he didn't go. He just continued working the cotton fields until he could fake it and say he was 18 years old, and then he joined the United States Army. And when he joined the Army, that led to bringing uh, him back when he finished his service in his country to Houston, Texas. So here's an old man, young man back then, with a sixth grade education, you know, met uh, a nice talkative woman uh, as she was graduating from uh, Jack Yates High School, thinking about going to Prairie View. He proposed the night before she was packing up to go to college. That's my mother. Now, this old man worked as a nurse's aide at the VA hospital and a yard man. If there had not been barriers in his life, instead of being a yard man and fixing bicycles for everybody in the neighborhood, he's a pretty good entrepreneur. He may have owned T's Nursery or something. I mean, he's one heck of a good yard man. There were barriers that he could not get beyond. I know the last phase of Martin Luther King's struggle was for economic empowerment. You know, there were, if you listen to some of those old speeches, that's one way he was going after this bread company, Seal Test Bread or something like that, in uh, maybe it was Memphis or some city. And uh, at one of these speeches, he said that they told him that he could meet with the folks from this, uh, the head of this bakery company, he said that they told him, you can meet with our representative. And so Martin Luther King said, well, who's your representative? He said, Mr. Bob Brown. And so Dr. King says in his speech, he didn't know that Mr. Bob Brown was their representative as well. So they worked it out for jobs, you know, back then. That was, it was the, this is the last phase, integrating the money. And it's so important. I just think, you know, how can we make it if we don't have more black, brown, and female entrepreneurs who are part of the mainstream of economic life in our region? And most people in the country do it. We're an outlier. Outlier. City of Houston's been doing, having a program for 36 years. So it's finally, we woke up from this deep sleep. And the Port of Houston is going to wake up. That study will come out soon. Let's see what the numbers look like. And Metro's going to do it. And the Harris Center would do it as well. All right, so um, on that point, just to round this out, could you talk about the status of the program? We know it's been two years in the making, a little over two years now uh, to get to this point, and we're not quite at the finish line yet. So if you could give an update of where Harris County is in terms of having an MWBE program up and running. It took about 
two years to do the study. And then once the study came back, it took maybe another four months. The county agreed to hire the person who did the study, brilliant young lawyer. Uh, she came back with her recommendations. We have adopted the framework. A new department is being set up. Uh, she has the framework. She starts in, in January. I want to make sure we don't get sued. Any major contract that comes up now, either Commissioner Garcia and I have been slapping a goal on them. And uh, so I think we'll have a program up and running. You know, I'm sure by the end of the first quarter of next year, but already you see the change. You know, nobody in their right mind would bring something uh, to that commissioner's court table that does not have a diverse group in it. But, you know, and when the Port Metro and the others do it as well, we got to look at some training programs, some joint bonding programs. We ought to build on the successes of the city of Houston. We ought to improve some things in our program that maybe the city should have changed a long time ago. At one of those discussions at court, you remember I was angry about the idea of uh, not encouraging more MWBEs to be a prime. I mean, if the county's going to adopt a program 36 years after the city did it, hell, I won't be around, you'll be around. But I hope 36 years from now, we have more women, people of color, uh, who can be the prime on the front of the bus and doing great work. It's just important. I mean, look, hey, there's strength in our diversity. And if we don't figure out how we bring these groups who've been left out, who've been on the back of the bus into the mainstream, how are we going to make it? I mean, particularly when we think our Hispanic a community in particular. I mean, that's just a wave of the future. Hell, I care. I want to make sure that, you know, when I'm in my convalescent home, that good people coming after me who understand entrepreneurialism running. But we're going to have a program pretty quick. All right. And as a little explainer, it means prime contractors. So prime contractors on the front of the bus. I'm sorry. That comes from being from Sunnyside. I want to make sure that your listeners can grab it. I don't want the minority women-owned businesses to just be a subcontractor. I want them to lead the project and obviously do it when they're qualified and make the real money. Of course, because that was one of the, another finding of the study is that most of the time when they do receive contracts, they're that's subcontractor. a subcontractor. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for your time, Commissioner. As always, we appreciate it. And I know our listeners will learn some valuable insights from our discussion today. Thank you. All right, now it's time for our segment, County Corner. I just wish we had our own theme song that we could play right here. You know, County Corner. Anyway, um, so for today's County Corner, we are going to be talking about just how big Harris County is. We know that everything is bigger in Texas, and Harris County is the perfect example of that. Harris County is one of the largest counties in the nation. Harris County is 1,777 square miles, which is 484 football fields, and it's bigger than the entire state of Rhode Island. So take that, Rhode Island. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, And by population, Harris County is the third largest county in the country, just after Cook County, which is where Chicago is, and L.A. County, which is the largest. Harris County has over 4.7 million people. If we were our own state, we would be the 25th most populous state. Uh, That means we have more people in our county than half the states in America. So basically what we're saying is we're a pretty big deal. 
Our mission at Precinct 1 is to become a national model for delivering responsive public service that utilizes inclusive, innovative, and collaborative approaches to improve the quality of life, advance equality of opportunity, and promote the fair treatment of all people in Harris County. And when we say become a national model, we really mean it. A county of our size can't help but be noticed, and we are determined to be the best example we can be. And now we would like to introduce one of our policy advisors, Sasha Leggett. Hi, Sasha. We're so happy that you're here on the One for All podcast. Uh, could you start off by introducing yourself and telling us what you do here at Precinct One? So my name is Sasha Leggett. I'm a policy advisor to Commissioner Ellis here at Precinct One. Um, what does that even mean, right? What does it mean to be a policy advisor? Um, that means that I uh, research particular policies that are in line with Commissioner Ellis's priorities and the needs of our community, and then advise him on the best possible approach of getting those policies implemented in a way that is actually going to do what he wants them to do to advance our, our um, communities. And the policy areas I primarily work on are economic equity and racial equity policies. Okay, and what do we mean when we say economic equity? And how is that different from traditional economic development? So what we mean when we say economic equity, it means that we're looking at particular disparities that ex that exist traditionally in regular economic development and looking at it from a lens that says, what are the things that were in place that created those disparities how do we cure historical disinvestment and mitigate those disparities? Um, and so that's kind of what economic equity means. And where does the Office of Economic Equity and Opportunity fit into these goals? So I'm excited about that. Um, I work a lot on, on helping to get the Economic Equity and Opportunity Development Office kind of off the ground or to where it is now. Um, since Commissioner Ellis has a overall goal of equity being incorporated into every policy that we create, this office was um, one of his brain children <laughs> uh, that he introduced in um, early 2019. So prior to my ever coming to, to work for him, um, the policy staff and himself came up with this idea that we needed to approach economic development in the county in a vastly different way. Um, and, and they put it to the court to create this new office. So what does it even mean to have an office that does whatever they are going to do? Um, it looks at various different aspects of how um, economic development and activity is generated. And then how do we create equity in those areas because equity traditionally doesn't exist in some of those areas, specifically when we're talking about the advancement of um, communities of color. So within that office, we're going to be um, doing economic development, we'll be doing business development, um, workforce development, 
and then um, there's going to be a policy team. So all of those things are going to be working together to kind of, um, like I said before, cure the historic disinvestment and historic um, issues and disparities around economic development and also get us to a place where everyone can thrive in Harris County. Okay, so it's economic development that takes into account sort of this these historical disinvestments and mm-hmm. and has that as an explicit goal. Very cool. Yep. So um, one thing that we're going to talk about is the MWBE or Minority and Women-Owned Business Enterprise Program. Can you talk about um, sort of that program and how that fits into these broader goals? Right. Um, one of the elements of the, the office will be to run this program. And so when we talk about MWBE, um, first, I want to just go ahead and clarify what it is mm-hmm. so that people know. Because sometimes we throw around acronyms and everybody doesn't know what it means. So MWBE means Minority Women-Owned Businesses and Enterprises. Um, and uh, those programs are designed to kind of level the playing field for those businesses who traditionally face particular issues in obtaining contracts, getting financial capital, things of that nature. Um, and so the, the role that the MWBE program plays in this particular office is just to kind of shape um, some of the culture of that office to say, you know, we want to ensure that everyone's getting a fair shot at, um, you know, being able to thrive and in creating a program in a way that allows them to do those businesses to do just that. I think one thing we should clarify and mention is that it's not that there's something particularly wrong about Harris County, but mm-hmm. that these sort of historical barriers exist across government. Um, can you talk a little bit about the Port Authority and how they completed a study which showed similar issues? Absolutely. So um, when Commissioner Ellis decided that he, well, once I think he decided from looking at the region and seeing that um, in some of the major economic driving entities of our our county that they hadn't had these programs, um, what he wanted to do was um, press upon them to get those programs, uh, to do a disparity study so that we could create programs across the board. Um, being an individual who uh, helped to get the first uh, MWBE program done at the city of Houston, uh, he was very adamant of seeing that across the entire region here. Um, And so after, you know, asking the port to do their disparity study and then finally deciding to accept that that task, um, they hired a consultant. They went through the same process. So they went, they hired a consultant, and then they released their uh, results earlier this week um, in their executive summary and um, it showed similar disparities. And so what that what it what it says is that um, we as a region have a long way to go, but it's not just the region, it's the country as a whole. Um, across the nation, we've been talking about racial disparities in various different aspects and how these disparities create a wide range of things, you know, um, from health to wealth to, you know, education and um you know, I, I feel like we're in a 
we're in a moment where we're going to have to have a reckoning to kind of deal with these these issues that have gone like undealt with or swept under the rug or kicked the can down the road, whatever whatever you want to call it, um, so that we can, you know, truly move everyone forward. Because once we move everyone forward, we'll see our economy thrive in a really positive way. So is this, do you see something like the MWBE initiative, the Office of Economic Equity, as, um, you know, entities or ways that we can correct for racial disparities by by looking at them and then providing these solutions? Absolutely. Um, they're actually, um, you know, recommended by a variety of different experts across the country when looking at um, racial wealth gaps um, and disparities that exist along racial lines, they recommend those kinds of things, such as MWBE programs and other programs, to start to heal some of these economic disparities. And is there anything else you want to tell our listeners about the work that you do, the work that Precinct One does? So I'd say to the listeners, I know that it might feel like sometimes things are not getting done because you don't feel the impact immediately, but there are some amazing transformative things taking place at at Harris County, a lot of them being driven by Precinct 1, and I'm extremely proud to be a part of making these things change um, and happen because what I see and what I know is that the policies we work on are going to have impacts for generations. So it might not be, you know, you can feel it today, but over time, it'll help you, your family, your children, their children, if we can, you know, continue down this track of healing racial disparities. Thanks so much, Sasha. Awesome. Thank you. So, Leticia, when you first read the results from the disparity study, what what was going through your head? What were your thoughts? Were you shocked? Were you not surprised? Were you what were you? Yes feeling? and no. I think, you know, Commissioner sort of spoke to this historical discrimination that I think we're all aware of, but it's still it's still shocking when you see it on paper, when you see the numbers. You know, talking to Sasha about how this works and what this means in practice, it really just, I think it shows you that there's so much work you still have to do. Like, this may have happened a long time ago, but it's we're still living with those consequences. Like, you can't just expect discrimination to disappear. You do have to take these proactive measures to, as Commissioner said, level the playing field. And... I mean, I'm just glad that we're doing something about it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And like you say, the numbers, the 9.8%, that is everyone combined outside of white people, white males. Right. Um, So it's like all of the people of color are in the 9.8%. And I think that is the thing that when you look at the numbers is even you know more surprising is like this isn't just one group. It's all of the groups that when it comes to contracting, which is so important because, you know, that money 
um, can go into communities and families and homes. And so it just trickles out. Um, and that's what we see when you talk about disparities in general. Yeah. And it's crazy because it's even more than just all of the people of color. It's also women. Women. So like the, 90, the 91% or what 90% of the contracting is going specifically to white men. True. Like it's even, I don't know. It's just so, so crazy. Yeah. Like crazy without being crazy. Like you were saying, like it's just seeing it on paper is something just like undeniable. Like look and at these like, numbers. I'm sure if you just think about it, you can think of several minority and women-owned businesses in Harris County. I'm sure in your neighborhood, ones that you've gone to. So it's crazy to think that the county is not going to these businesses. So we're going to change that. And yes, hopefully yeah. around around the county, the city, uh, the port, metro, all the things. Yeah, Change is coming. Yeah, so we, about the change, where what did Commissioner say? Like, where are we at with this program now? Like, what phase are we in? So we have the disparity study. There are other disparity studies coming out from other county groups, so the Port of Houston, Metro, and then um, Harris Health. But the county has already adopted a policy framework, so we are ready to set up a program which would help minority and women-owned business enterprises across the county. Um, what we are waiting for now is for the new director of the Office of Economic Equity and Opportunity to start. She starts in January, uh, Pamela Chan. We're very excited about her and uh, to see what she does. But once she's in office, uh, we expect her to be able to implement this program and help minority and women-owned businesses all across the county. Woo! That's exciting stuff. It is exciting. The new year, new new possibilities. <laughs> but yeah, county government, getting stuff done. Getting stuff done. One for all. One for all. Yes. We're prom- we promise we're not always this horny. <laughs> <laughs> Come back next episode. <laughs> yeah. See if we keep that promise. <laughs> That's it for today's podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please follow us on social media and be sure to tune in to our next episode. That's our theme music. We're making it ourselves. <laughs>